Hello and welcome to the Rehumanized podcast. It is Herb Garrity here as always, joined by Emiliano. And today our guest is a woman named Serena Dykeson. Welcome, Serena. Thank you. It's good to be on here today. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I I guess we'll just get started. Um, I I wanted to invite you onto the podcast today because I have heard your testimony before a couple times, and I think that it's always been so moving. Um, And so I wanted to give you a platform to share your story as much as you would like to share, um, and then talk a little bit about the work that you do currently in the movement to to help women and, and children in your community and around the country. So... I guess, who are you? What, how did you get involved in, in human rights and peace and pro-life and justice work? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I'm Serena Dykeson. I'm the founder of She Found Us Grace. We're uh, an organization that helps uh, men and women find healing after abortion um, if they make the choice to have an abortion. And really our goal is to help them. A lot of them sit in a lot of guilt and shame and a lot of wounds and brokenness and um they hurt in silence. And so we want to help them find their healed voice so that they can help women who are facing unplanned pregnancies choose life. And so we know that if they can share their stories, a woman that is uh, thinking about abortion, she's 85% more likely to choose life. And so that's what we do. And so it kind of, it birthed out of my own story, my own pain, pain point in my own life of being sexually assaulted at 13 by an uncle and um, my parents were uh, looking for help. They were devastated that I had been sexually abused. Um, that was something that my mom worked really hard at protecting my sister and myself and felt like a very much a failure um, hearing that I had been assaulted. And so when we went to our family doctor, And uh, she was looking for help. And the only help that was offered um, was abortion. And I've since found out that this doctor was a Catholic doctor, which um, typically they're very pro-life. But this particular doctor had a um, misplaced compassion, I would say. And so that was the first time I'd ever heard the word abortion. I had no idea what it was. Um, You know, as a minor, as a 13-year-old, you listen to the adults around you. And so I just thought everybody had my best interest, you know, what was best for me. And so we... um, we were referred to a clinic and I remember the clinic just saying, um, the people outside the clinic hate you. Make sure that you walk in quickly. And I just remember my mom saying, they don't know what we're going through and I will knock their damn heads off. I just remember her saying that being so angry. And I was just like, I had no idea. You know, as a 13 year old, I was like, why would people be mad at us? What what's really going on? And so um, once I was in the clinic, um, I was separated from my parents and um, I was taken into a room that they called a counseling room. And um, what the counseling consisted of was they, I remember them saying, it's just a clump of cells. Um, Are you ready for the abortion? There was no other questions that they asked. Um, No, I mean, there was no questions asked about my, who assaulted me, any of that. And so I just said, yeah, I was ready for, um, I was ready for whatever was next because I just didn't know. And um, I was actually taken to the abortionist, George Clawford, um, who had hoarded the 2,411 babies. Um, And the first time I met him, he just looked at me and he said, this won't take long. And it was the most horrific um, experience that I've ever gone through. Um, It was... uh, 
just so much pain. He had no compassion. He could care less of who my circumstances. And I often say that the abortion was worse than being sexually assaulted. And, um, and I say that as someone, you know, now that I'm on the side of healing, um, you know, you think, I couldn't help what someone did to me. But when I learned um, that I was part of ending an innocent life, that is a pretty heavy weight to bury, uh, to carry, because you're just like, I would never, that's not something I would have chose to do. Um, and so after the procedure was done, um, you're just taken to this room and there's just women in just in this open room it's dirty. It's, it's, it's just an awful place. And, um, there was really no care. They give you a drink and some snacks. And, and, um, when it was time for me to go, I stood up and I hemorrhaged everywhere and no one came to check on me. Um, my dad had to pick me up, carry me over his shoulder. And we left that clinic and wanted to forget what happened. And, um, later, years later, I would find my mom's journal and she wrote in her journal that, um, she could hear me screaming for help and they would not let me let her help me. And that was something that she, um, actually led to her, uh, being put in a mental hospital for two weeks. Um, she had to, I remember her having a complete nervous breakdown and her going away for two weeks. And I remember my dad just taking us to visit her and she was just so drugged out because of, she couldn't handle what had happened at that clinic. And so, um, our lives changed forever. I, um, started to use, um, I started drinking at an early age. Um, I didn't know at the time that it was part of the abortion. Um, society always says that rape is the worst thing. And yes, that is a bad thing that happens to us. But if you add another traumatic thing to your life, like it's just going to compound um, that, that traumatic experience. And that's exactly what had happened. And so, um, yeah, so my life was just kind of spiraling at that point in middle school or, yeah, the middle school age. And then um, by the time I turned 16, I found out that I was pregnant again and Planned Parenthood had just been in our school and I was so uneducated. I just didn't know. I thought, you know what, here is this organization that came in the school why wouldn't I trust them? That's what I thought. I didn't know. And so we went to Planned Parenthood and they said, you're young, you're in school, you're poor, you should abort your baby. And I knew at 16 what abortion was. And I knew that was not something I would ever do again. And so my um, now husband of 29 years, he had looked at me and he said, what do you think about abortion? And I said, I, I said no, and I shared my story, and he said, I don't know how we'll figure it out, but we'll figure it out, and we chose life that day in the parking lot of Planned Parenthood, um, and we had a great support system. We had people that came around us um, that helped us um, with a baby shower. They helped us learn how to budget. They um, would baby... It, they would make sure that we were able to get to school. So we were both able to graduate. Um, my husband would go on to get a business. Um, I Something that I wanted to do, kind of something that was important to us was that I would stay home with my kids. Um, but, you know, there was this fallout of the abortion that we didn't know. So by the time we were 23, we bought our first house and we thought, man, we're doing great. Life is good. Like we're beating the odds, you know, everything was stacked against us, but we were beating the odds. And, um, then I had a miscarriage and it kind of rocked my world and our marriage began to suffer. What I didn't know at the time was I was actually grieving two babies at the time and didn't know how to grieve. And then, um, because of the abortion, I also had an ovary that ruptured and I nearly bled to death. Um, and it was so traumatic for our family. We didn't know. I mean, I'm in the hospital getting blood transfusions and um, just all these 
health issues that I was having. And by 29, I had to have a complete hysterectomy. Um, and I did not um, disclose to my doctor about the abortion. That was just something that was very shameful for me, um, very hurtful, very private. Um, and that was just something that I did not share with anyone. Um, and so by the time my kids hit high school, I just felt very unworthy to be a mother and a wife. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to divorce my husband. I'm going to, um, I'm just going to go out and, you know, do whatever I want because they deserve so much better than me. And um, so I would, I started drinking. I was using drugs all the time and pretty much life was a mess for me. Um, and I, it finally got to a point where I had burned all my bridges. Um, people were kind of tired of me calling them at three o'clock in the morning. It wasn't funny anymore. Um, at first, you know, that was so out of character for me. Um, and so they, they kind of were like, okay, that's hilarious. You're calling us. Um, but after a while it wasn't funny. And so that particular night, no one was coming to get me. And I knew in my head, this is what I thought. I thought if I get behind the wheel, there's a really good possibility that I might um, I might go to jail because I am very much intoxicated. I had used that night and um, I didn't want to go to jail. That was my thought. Um, unfortunately, I was very selfish at that time because I wasn't thinking of anybody else that I might have hurt in the process um, because I was just so in my broke brokenness. Um, and that night I had this uh, encounter um, where it just changed my life forever, um, where I just sat in my car and I just wept and I cried. And um, that was a real moment where I knew, um, you know, at that at that point I had been I had a relationship before before all of this. I had a relationship with God. And at this point, I had not I had walked away from him completely and I remember that night just crying out and I was like God I have no one but you right now and I just remember God just meeting me and lavishing me in a love that I had not felt before and um, just going home and um you know, my husband welcoming me back, he had every right not to, and he did. And um, at that point, I just began my healing work. Um, I started going to counseling, and I um, attended a post-abortive um, healing um, class, and um, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do, um, because working through your healing sometimes is a really sucky place to be. Um, it doesn't feel good. But what I know is I needed to have a healing bomb put on my heart. And, um, and so that's where I really started digging in. And, and uh, through that process, um, that's when we actually um, started having um, I, st I started sidewalk counseling in that after my healing process um, because I just wanted to help women. And um, that's really when everything started exploding for us because women started hearing my story after, after the Clawford story came out. And, um, and so I didn't anticipate that my story would go public. It went public. And I'm so thankful that I was on the heel side of that because if my story would have went public and I wouldn't have been healed, I think it would have looked very different for me. Well, so that I am so grateful that you are here now and able to share your story. Um, because as you said, I think it is so impactful. I've seen some of the work that you've done recently um, through She Found His Grace with other women who have similar experiences um or, or you know very different experiences but um you know ha have been touched by abortion in some way um the work that you've been doing outside of clinics i think has been 
so interesting to see as someone who does sidewalk advocacy often outside of clinics. Um, I don't have a story, a story like that to share personally. Um, and so I, I just talk a little bit about that, about what you've been doing um, outside of clinics lately with your wonder. I, I've seen the pictures, the wonderful <laughs> team of women that all, um, I, I think your shirts say what, ask me about my story or ask yeah. me my story. Yeah. Ask me my story. Ask yeah. me my story. We always wear those on outreaches because we welcome, like ask us our stories and we're going to tell you how abortion affected us. So um, yeah. So once women go through the healing process, we want to take them back out um to the very places that that you know change their lives forever um so that they can share their stories and and women going in um can hear those stories and change their minds and and so recently we went to jackson mississippi we took 20 uh, post-abortive women um which was awesome and they were not anticipating us at all and they don't even know what to do with us <laughs> um but we got there and um we were able to we all shared our stories and we had four women turn away from abortion uh, an abortion worker quit and also uh we had women reach out for for help with healing so it was fantastic and uh then we also uh, just recently we were in DC and uh, we were able to communicate with some of the workers, which was awesome because they they heard us sharing our stories and they just stood there watching us, not sure what to do. And then the next thing we know, they're outside and then then they started communicating with us. And so like it's just I think it's powerful when we have our healed voices and we can go back and share our story because it does change minds. Yeah. So what what are some of the things that what are some of the reactions that you have been able to get from from women who are abortion minded, um, how lots of people who are there might have already made the decision, you know, do you ever face any pushback from people? You know, um, typically when we have an abortion minded woman, um, reach out to us. Um, most of the time, she is just looking for someone to tell her that she can do it, um, that she there's resources for her. And something something that we have done is we actually have like a QR code. Um, we just do a little card so she can like uh, have a QR code. And, and we also offer texting so that they can text us and have that conversation with us. And so typically we do not get pushback from ladies when they are, um, a lot of times they, once they hear our stories, they're like, man, I, you know, I just really need some help. And, and so that's typically what we, we see. Um, occasionally we get women that are just like, I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what, in that case, we, um, just let them know, like, hey, we know this is going to change your life forever. Um, we are still here for you because you're going to need it. And that's kind of our approach to ev to the whole process. Um, because we know we've been there and it is a terrible place to be. Yeah, I think that. You know, like I said, I, I don't really have a person, a personal connection to abortion, really, um, outside of just living in this culture and then, you know, what, what that means. Um, but in my own personal life, I haven't been affected by abortion. And so I've always found it really important to use the platform that I have with Rehumanize to give, you know, a voice to the people who have been personally affected by it, um, you know, whether they've gotten an abortion themselves or their partner had an abortion or they were worked in the abortion industry or, um, you know, the, the, the myriad different ways that people can be affected by abortion. Um, and I think that it's really important for pro-life people to hear the stories of post-abortive people too, because I think often as pro-lifers, we have this, um, 
this focus on the unborn, and which I think makes sense because they are the primary victims of abortion. They're the ones mm-hmm. being killed. Um, but I think it leads to a lot of people to dehumanize the women who make the choice to have an abortion. Um, and I think when I hear stories like yours, it, it, it's much more common that, that I hear a story like yours where there is, you know, in your case, there was clear coercion. It, it was obvious you were a minor. You you really, you know, if, if there's any sort of victim, you know, multiple victim in an abortion, yours is clearly that case. Um, but the, the reality is that most women and people who have had abortions that I know have some level of coercion in their story. Um, and I think that it, it's always important to, to point that out for people, especially now that we're about to overturn Roe v. Wade, and we need to get serious about how we're going to legislate this. And we see certain anti-abortion legislators working to criminalize people like you who were in such you know horrific desperate situations mm-hmm. and and that's just the case you know like we work with lots of women who come and share their stories and they have stories of being trafficked they have stories of their partners making them uh their parents um We also, you know, we also work with women that do say, you know what, I made that choice. Our director would tell you she made that choice. And she goes, as soon as she got home, she regretted it instantly. And so, you know, yeah, we need to be very careful in how we handle this whole situation. Because um, I recently heard someone say, I've never seen a woman be forced to have an abortion. And I thought... I know you've heard my story before. You just don't want to listen to it <laughs> um, because, you know, that's simply not the truth. And and also, I think when we're outside the, the abortion clinics, you know, having compassion towards people, um, you know, either we're going to be that safe person that they want to go to or not. And we've heard that so many times where women will say they get to the abortion clinic and they will scan around to see if someone is a safe person for them. And, um, you know, they never forget what people say outside the clinic that goes, that is part of the trauma that, that goes along with it. And, and, you know, some of it is, you know, they think back and they're like, man, I really wish I would have listened to that advice. Or they'll say, they called me every name in the book. And, and I, I knew that they were not a safe person to go to. And so I always try to talk about that as well. Um, because we want to be those safe people where they'll come to you and have that conversation. And it really is a, a matter of life and death for both mom and baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even in, in your story, you said, right, the, the clinic instructed you to ignore the pro-life people <laughs> outside trying to offer you resources. Um, and, you know, you, it is sort of a mixed bag of what you might get outside an abortion clinic in terms of, the training that the people outside the clinic may have had or the the tactics they use. Um, I know at Rehumanize, we have worked a lot with um, the National Sidewalk Advocates team mm-hmm. to develop a program of um, for sidewalk advocacy that includes, you know, a secular um, resource-based, you know, pregnant person first approach um, that is very important to us. And, you know, I've seen that be very um, successful in terms of, you know, reaching people seeking abortions um, and convincing them and empowering them to choose life. Um, But I've also seen some not great tactics. I've witnessed some of the, uh, you know, I, I can understand why someone going into an abortion clinic wouldn't want to trust the pro-lifers outside if you fear that they're about to, like you said, call you every name in the book. Um, So I think it's incredibly important to listen to people who've had abortions or who have considered abortions and have walked through that crowd of pro-lifers into the clinic to hear what their perspective was and what, what actually could have drawn them out into conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I was just on a call yesterday with someone and they were sharing they, their post-abortive, uh, a post, post-abortive man, and he went to the clinic and he said they were 
they were calling all sorts of names and and he said hey do you ever get anybody to talk to you and and they said well yeah we do and he said well what do you do with them and they said oh we we give them information for the pregnancy resource center he's like that's awesome he's like what if it what if they go uh, through with the abortion and they said well they deserve seven wraths of god's judgment and he was like what what no 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 <laughs> and 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 so you know he shared he shared the truth and um the the lady looked at him and said if that's your message don't come back out to this clinic again and he said i was convinced that I wasn't going to go back. He goes, but this conversation that I'm having with you right now, he's like, I, I think I need to go back out. I'm like, I think you do need to go back out. <laughs> you don't let them like, no, don't let them talk you into not going back out. You're exactly who needs to be out there. Wow, so, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that focus on, Forgiveness is so necessary and powerful um, because, like you said, there lots of people are at different stages of of grief, at different stages of regret too. Um, and I think uh, the pro life movement puts a lot of focus on post abortive people who. Uh, immediately had regret or had regret at some point later. Um, but I think then that is taken and spun around by pro-choice people, especially like the, the Guttmacher Institute, for example, uh, puts out a study on regret and pregnancy outcomes. And that's one of the, the biggest things that gets turned into a meme about, oh, well, actually most women don't say that they experience regret. And so, I mean, on the one hand, it focuses on like a very subjective response to a very politicized question. So people might feel, oh, if I say that I regret this abortion, then I'm, you know, throwing other women under the bus. And then on the pro-life side too, like you said, there's lots of people who, if, if there's not obvious signs of regret and repentance, then say, you know, that's not uh, something that can be forgiven. Um, what do you think the, how, how do you demonstrate that type of, of willingness not just to forgive but to say from the beginning that you know you are you are not just forgivable but have a right to mourn that you <laughs> you regretting this doesn't uh you know that that's that's for you that doesn't um uh, add or take away to anything about you as a person necessarily. Yeah. So when we, when we take our, the ladies through the class, you know, we want to, we want them to be able to give their babies dignity. Right. And so, you know, some of the things that when I have women come to us, like we want to meet them with, I'm sorry for your loss, you know, and we're always like in that mode and just, you know, our goal is to always get them in the in the classes because um you know we do the forgiveness part but we also um have a beautiful memorial service so that they can um you know have memory of their baby um, we want them to name their babies we want them to have dignity and then for us um we do a second phase of our program to turn that pain into purpose and that's where taking them out to the clinic and doing those things or that purpose. Right. But I think, um, what I find with women who come to us, um, there are some women that we just recently had a woman come through one of our classes. Um, she held on to that secret for 40 years 
for 40 years. And um, her story is horrific of even how she ended up at the clinic. Um, and she knew that she had all these broken pieces to her story. And yet, like, not knowing how to connect all the dots. I don't think that you know, we've done a good job of helping women connect those dots of like what might be that that pain point. But what I will tell you is with this abortion pill, we have women coming to us so much sooner um, because they're actually seeing um, their babies and it's traumatizing. And so, yeah. And so it's just, you know, all these different stages of women coming to us and just being so broken over it and I think in the pro-life world we need to really um, use the voices of post-abortive women to share their stories because what I have happened all the time is when I share my story I have people come to me and say I never connected the dots until you said this or you said that and they're like that probably is really what my root is Um, we recently had a man who went through our program and he um, he actually was actively a drug addict. Um, he was in a gang. He was in all sorts of bad things. And he did not even recognize that that was a root issue until we came and spoke. And he was like, what? Are they for real? Um, and you know what? He knows that that's, that's the root of it. And so I think when pro-lifers are talking to women, especially that women are having the conversation of like really pushing for abortion, start asking some perspective questions. And you know what? You'll get to that root pretty quick to know that they've had an abortion. And I think a lot of women that are just loud and proud about their abortions, um, Really, when you get down to the, the the questions and ask them the right questions, perspective questions, um, they just don't even realize that they're justifying justifying this abortion because it's such a pain point for them. And so, if we can ask the right questions and get them to that point, um, you know, it's just a good a good place to get them. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> That was roundabout. <laughs> so, Serena, I recently got to see you outside the Supreme Court a couple weeks ago. We're all sort of still living under the shadow of this Dobbs draft opinion leak <laughs> yeah. where Roe has sort of been overturned, but not at all officially yet. And so we're we're in a, an interesting moment right now. Um, but I think that this moment has for us provided a lot of great opportunities to talk about the abortion issue with people in our communities um, and you know around the world we recently saw each other outside the Supreme Court while we were mm-hmm. demonstrating for this um, so I, I wanted to ask you how do you think that this moment has impacted your work for post-abortion healing where you know abortion is on the the network nightly news every night and suddenly people are talking about this you know intensely personal secret often thing in our lives Mm -hmm. yeah so it definitely has been very triggering for a lot of men and women because it's just on the forefront and being talked about all the time and um of course online there's conversations that are happening and um People are reading them, post-abortive men and women are reading them and not knowing exactly how to digest all of that. And so that's why having our safe communities um, that we've, um, our organization has created, um, we can, we can have our group and we can unpack that and get on a a community call um, and really be that support. And so that's really where we are right now of just being like, okay, um, we are going to offer you all the support that we can to help you navigate through this. If they haven't been through a class, we want them to get through a class. Um, and that's what we see is they're ready to go through the class because this has been a pain point for them. And so for us right now, we are uh, definitely in growing pains, which is a beautiful thing. Um, 
but I tell you what, I, I'm, and probably no one else can convince me and you guys, <laughs> I'll just say it, but your post-abortive men and women are going to be your powerhouses for the pro-life movement. And we just need to get them to a healed place. And so I'm always going to stand on that. And, and so we're just excited to get these powerhouses out there um, in a healed, with a healed voice and be able to really speak life into these women and workers and, um, and, I know our organization is personally seeing good fruit in it. So it's great to hear. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. And do you all also do courses or trainings for just kind of uh, bystanders? Yeah. So for us, um, what we do is um, we have um, we have people go through it to experience it. And even if they're not post-abortive, we still have them shadow through the process. And um, that's been super powerful for the people who have shadowed because they said that it has changed their lives on how they even view abortion and how that they can be active in abortion and seeing some needs that um, were missing. And so, um, so for us, our organization, we just kind of say, you know, even if you're not post-abortive, um, that's okay because you don't wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to do post-abortive <laughs> ministry work, right? Like we feel like it's a calling. And so, yeah, so we offer that and we just have them shadow through the whole process so that they hear from the beginning to the end and see the, the transformation of, of our clients. That's really powerful to me because I think obviously and necessarily uh the the main people that we're focusing on here are the people who are post-abortive and the the immediate family of the post-abortive person um the people who are most affected um but just uh the amount of i i guess like side trauma um that just kind of bystanders can have who find themselves um, helping out someone who is uh, post-abortive and not even really realizing it, but but coming to the realization later that you're helping someone grieve through a death um, is is something that is really uh, overlooked, I think, a lot of time. Um, and it's just wild how how deep the trauma of abortion is for just like so many people, even outside of the, the people who were originally affected by it. Um, I, yeah, I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing. Yeah, my husband, his heart... So his heart is for the husbands that their wives are going through the program because he knows how it affected him and he wasn't even part of the abortion, but it affected him. And so I, you know, I have such an appreciation for Bruce, who is just like, I want to help the men, the husbands um, process through this. And, and that's something um, when we have our memorial service, we invite the whole family um, to be able to have go through that grieving process because it's affected the whole family. And so, and it's so beautiful. We um, actually had a memorial service where um, the daughter had come to work at our organization uh, because her parents had had an abortion. And, um, and so she wanted to help. And I said, sure, that's great. Well, then her mom went through the program. And then at the memorial service, her her dad had been saying the whole time, I don't know why I'm part of this. I don't know. And at that memorial service, he looked at his wife and his daughter and he started apologizing um, for the pain of the abortion that had caused the whole family. And we saw a whole family um, have a healing process that was like phenomenal like it was just so beautiful and so powerful and um, you're so right that wound goes so deep it goes so deep and um, 
recently when we were in DC, uh, we had an Uber driver and she said, what tell me your story. She said, I said, let me tell you my story. <laughs> and she actually said, I got raped at 14, kept my baby. Um, but a year later faced an unplanned pregnancy and thought that I couldn't keep that baby because I was so young. And she said, I aborted my baby. And she just shared how much that hurt her. And uh, so we spent some time and we gave her information and we prayed with her. And, and uh, a few days later, she wrote a song and she sent us a song. And she said, she said, ever since that abortion, I had not sang a song. And she goes, I have a new song in my heart now. And uh, so she just heard this beautiful song and we invited her to come to our gala and, and the class. And it was just so powerful, but she had not been singing since then. And uh, so powerful, like so many women and men just hold on to that secret. Um, and I know when I went through my abortion healing, something that was so weird to me is I went through and they said, if we see you at the store, we won't say hi to you unless you say hi to us. And I thought, what the heck? That's so weird. Like, I just feel like I just had the best encounter of my life. And then you're trying to put shame back on me. No, thank you. And so that's where we don't, we don't do any of that because we just want people to be free to share their stories. So it impacts others, um, either for uh, life or healing. And that's really what our focus is. Yeah. yeah, I think the work you do is so important. And I think, you know, you're not the only post-abortive healing ministry. Um, and I think that, you know, all of them out there do such great work um, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. And I think firstly is just simply, even if, no minds are changed if if everyone who's gotten an abortion remains pro-choice or thinks it should be legal or doesn't ever go out to a clinic to share their story um, i think it's still important to have this ministry because these people who have had abortions or who have been impacted by abortion in some way they matter and their healing <laughs> matters and i do genuinely want them to not suffer the pain that i know so many people go through um but it's also important, you know, as you've mentioned, because of how effective it is at reaching people who are considering abortion or even who are just unsure about their position on abortion. Um, and I think that I, I've also seen that we know that right now a, a growing share of the population who is getting abortions um, is, is actually women and people who are getting repeat abortions. They're people who have had abortions in their past. Um, and so I've seen this post-abortion ministry, healing, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, um, as being so impactful because once you go through this healing and you recognize the loss that you've experienced um, and are finally connected with pro-life people and can see the support that exists in your community, you are not as likely to go forward with another abortion if you, again, uh, find yourself in, you know, an unplanned crisis pregnancy. And so I think that, you know, I, I get so frustrated when we see kind of the anti-abortion people who do want to throw post-abortive people under the bus, maybe want to criminalize them or shame them or, you know, just quote the, the angrier Bible quotes at them. And <laughs> that's the end of the day. Um, and it, it's so, it's so frustrating because even if you are going to be the most cynical person in the world and genuinely not care about their healing because they are a person who deserves, you know, healing and, and life, um, you should care for their future potential children that we're talking about. Right. When we see, um, you know, this huge number of abortion patients later repeat that decision. Mm -hmm. That's just it. That's just it. And when you start unpacking, you know, there's always root issues, the lies that they believe. And so, you know, we want to, we want to reach them in, in having that conversation and, and helping them 
gain perspective of like really what's driving you towards that abortion again and and you know like what is that and you know I I love it when a woman can just like walk through that process and then you know that healing process um, is only going to benefit their whole family their their baby everyone and so why wouldn't we focus on people healing like it, it just yeah. makes sense to me to that's what we would do instead of writing off these women um you know we often when we have women go through our classes we often hear there's sexual abuse in their past there's um you know uh all sorts of terrible abuse that's happened that is a deciding factor in in why they're doing what they're doing and so if we can we can reach those wounds even before then that's great but you know we want to we want to focus on that healing part so yeah yeah and you reminded me I've, I've been meaning to ask you for a while actually um you know your story is so impactful and it does involve sexual abuse, particularly childhood sexual abuse. Um, I, I've been meaning to ask you, how, how do you feel when you see people use stories like yours, whether it's minors or people who have been raped or, you know, other sort of horrible circumstances that lead to conception? How do you feel seeing that used as excuses and reasons for why we need legal abortion? Right. That is so frustrating to me. And I see it all the time. Um, you know, I, I'm just like, either people are really justifying it as an excuse, or there's that misplaced compassion. And so, you know, I have to, I have to stay in the lane of I'm going to just keep sharing it. And the people that have the misplaced compassion, they're going to get it. Um, but the ones that are just using it for an excuse, like, I mean, I can't stay in that lane because <laughs> it's like, I, you know, because it is frustrating because it's just an excuse because you know that when you share, like when I share my story, then they'll come back with something else and then it's something else. So it's like, okay, what really, now you're just justifying the murder of children. That's, that's all you're doing right now. You know, like, let's call it for what it is. So, yeah. So I just try to stay in my lane and share my story and change the heart of the people that that um, it will change and I know the the doctor's office I was taken to the nurse that worked there she reached out to me a year ago and um, she just said I'll, I'll never forget your family coming into our office she said I, that just impacted me and I've always wondered what happened to you and so it was good connecting with her and having that conversation and also for me to actually hear more of what the doctor was thinking you know and so I can weave that into my story when I have conversations with physicians um, so that they really can understand um, you know how important life is um, to to not have that misplaced compassion so well I am so grateful for you and for your work and your story and for everything you do and just for your warmness you're always so kind and sweet in person and so I Aww. I always love working with you whenever I can find the opportunity to I always love working with you it blesses my heart so much like you're one of the favorite um pro-life groups that I get to work with so <laughs> I love it and you guys are just the sweetest and um yeah and i always say you know it's just it's just fun because you guys are not afraid of the activism but you love people so well and i think that's why we work together so well because we just love people right so that's the whole point that's, that's right? why we do it why would <laughs> i fight right? for human rights if i didn't care about humans why would right? I, why would anyone fight for human rights if they didn't care about humans? right but yet we see it, unfortunately. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just so thankful for you and, and always look forward to working with you and, and all that you do. And thank you for um, just having the heart to hear p the stories of post-abortive women. Um, 
And, you know, if there's anybody listening that wants, um, wants or needs healing, they can reach out to shefoundisgrace.org. Um, and, you know, we're happy to walk alongside of you guys. Um, and we just know that it will change your life forever. And, uh, you know, we just, we love everyone. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome. I was going to ask you if you had anything you wanted to plug as we're wrapping up, but I think the website is basically it. Is there anything else that people should look out for? Um, the website, media. You're, on, you're on all the social medias too. I am on all the social medias. <laughs> I am on all of them. And you know what? We get a lot of traffic on our TikTok, which cracks me up. Um, but here we are. Everybody so, is doing I, TikTok now. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm behind the game. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure my kids don't want me to be on TikTok, but it's okay. It's all good. Um, and yeah, and then also I have my book, She Found His Grace. You can get that off yeah. of Amazon. Read my full story. I just gave you a little little piece of my story, but you can you can look at my book and, and uh, hear the rest of the story. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Serena. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It was lovely to talk to you. And it was lovely to hear some just kind of Midwestern, Midwestern wholesomeness. <laughs> Maybe miss back, back in Western Illinois, where I'm from. Okay. All right. I'm actually doing an outreach in Chicago in June. So <laughs> yeah, we're, we're uh, taking our team and going. So um, it's funny, like all these cities have like started inviting us in. <laughs> it's like, this is fun. We could be on the road all the time now. Wow. <laughs> so yeah people are like can you bring your team and come to this clinic or that clinic and i'm like yeah we can do it <laughs> so yeah it's well, fun i'm so grateful for your work and i'm excited to continue following it and see what other cities you go to and what other people you inspire and then <laughs> you know turn into other pro-life activists who are even better than all of us at, at doing what right? we do I know that's the goal, right? That is so the goal. And I know I, I have some pretty solid people, so I'm excited to see what's going to happen with them. But man, I tell you, it's just amazing. Like to see the ladies actually go back out to the clinic. And now I have men that are wanting to go out. So I'm, I'm pumped. Like it changes things out there. So yeah, but yeah. So good well thank you again i am going to sign off now this has been herb with the rehumanized podcast joined by emiliano and serena dykeson from she found his grace look them up get involved reach out if you need help or healing or if you know anyone who does they are a wonderful organization that um that i totally encourage you to reach out to for support or to support if you are able to support their work. So thanks again for listening. This has been the Rehumanized Podcast.